As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 90 yes. of Real Blend. Wow. A podcast that hasn't been fired from its Star Wars trilogy yet. <laughs> We have some very exciting news for everybody this week. Including the huge Star Wars developments that are going on. Uh, Terminator Dark Fate hits theaters this week, and two of the three of us have seen it. Uh, Jake and Kevin were able to check it out, and they're going to give us their review later on in the show. They also interviewed director Tim Miller, and we're going to have that interview in the show later on in episode 90. We will get to all of that very, very soon. But before we begin with that, I'm going to start by introducing my co-hosts, starting with Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kevin. Sean, uh, so good afternoon. I, I do want to say, uh, as a little tease to your tease, uh, Jake and I were both extremely shocked uh, how blunt and how open and honest Tim Miller was in our interview. So uh, make sure you stay tuned to this entire podcast and listen to the whole interview because he gets real, like real, real, <laughs> to a point where I disagree That's with amazing. him heavily on something, very, very heavily. I I haven't listened to the interview yet because I haven't seen Dark Fate and I don't want to be spoiled on anything. And I don't think you guys get into huge spoiler questions, maybe in the back half of it. But either way, I've been waiting to listen, but I love what you guys told me of what he said so far. Um, the other name that we have yet to mention in uh, episode 90 officially, Jake Hamilton, who is wearing a spectacular hot pink shirt. Thanks, hot brother. Hot. Well, I mean, it's hot if I wear it. Am I right? Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> Come on, Gabe. Crack a smile. <laughs> Can Come only go on. up from there. <laughs> Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Uh, hi, Jake. How hi, buddy. How are you? I've missed you. Uh, I know. And uh, I'm in St. Louis. Uh, Wait, are Next to Gabe. Wait, move your cameras so I can see. Gabe, Gabe, show him where I am. Yes. That's not I, creepy at all. So we're, uh, Isn't that weird? I, oh, my mind is blown. <laughs> For people who don't know, we, we uh, every time we record our podcast, even though you're only hearing audio, we, we all do it over Skype so we can see each other and, and kind of react naturally. And Gabe is able to yes. turn his camera and show us Sean, which is really weird because we don't ever see it from any other. <laughs> we don't see it from these angles. We always see it from like face right. on and just weird seeing Sean. <laughs> I can so, feel... I can feel Gabe's indifference in person. Wait, Gabe's, Gabe's so that means if video. we ask Gabe a question, you can bring your mic over to him. 
I could. Well, he's got, honestly, hopefully I'm going to sound the best I've ever sounded before because he has a really nice microphone. And then he put it on top of The irony of, like, that a man who doesn't speak has the best microphone <laughs> is not <laughs> lost on me. It's very true. Gabe, how are you today? Yeah, G- Gabe's breathing is going to sound better than my audio We're this right. week. We're, we're running late. Uh, reviews. This is uh, obviously, I, I say at the top of each show, that if you guys want to send us a review, uh, you can go over to our iTunes page and drop us a review. You can also email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. That is R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D if you're new to the show after 90 episodes. This one comes from someone named Casey Proctor who says, for, okay, for movie fans, by movie fans. And they write, listen up. I like watching movies and I enjoy the theater experience, but these guys love movies. And not in a self-righteous, condescending, wannabe filmmaker turned film critic sort of way. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that was a really layered <laughs> sentence. That was great. Well, Can you say that one more it time? It was a lot of... That was a sure. great they were all They're all connected by hyphens, too, so it was just one long... Okay. Hold on, I need a deep breath. Ooh. I like watching movies and I enjoy the theater experience, but these guys love movies. And not in a... Self-righteous, condescending, wannabe filmmaker turned film critic sort of way. Wow. Okay. I yeah, love that. I, that is pretty it's like, great. It's like really they beautiful. Lo- it kind of is. They love movies and cinematography and soundtracks and actors and directors and trailers, everything. They rarely agree 100% on anything, which is refreshing, they rant about stuff they care about, which is hilarious, and they're not afraid to gush because they are, in all caps, real fans of the greatest work to hit the big screen. How do you spell real? Which is equally uh, R-E-A-L. Ah, it was going so well. a missed so opportunity. Well. So well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, they Their insights, debates, and tough questions help me appreciate movies even more, and the interviews they've gotten with some of my favorite actors and directors are such a blast. Thank you, Sean, Jake, and Kevin, for sharing your fandom with us, your fans, and giving a behind-the-scenes view of Junket Life. Keep up the good work. Ignore the haters. Kill Bill is two movies. Avengers Endgame is my favorite movie of all time. Did you Dunkirk like this? Dunkirk exclamation point. I think I might have. <laughs> I think it's possible. Wow. I might have written this review. Thank you, Casey Proctor. That's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that. Holy sh- cow. That was great. <laughs> Ignore the haters. Kill Bill is two movies. Avengers Endgame is my favorite movie of all time. And then Dunkirk with three exclamation points. That was amazing. Beautiful. Thank you, Casey Proctor. That was beautiful. Yes. So uh, if you guys want your review read at the top of the next episode, make sure that you send it over via email. Or again, like I said, hit us up on the Apple iTunes podcast. And if you want my voice to go really, really high, say nice things about me uh, at the at the back half of the review. And Casey, Our weekly- real quick, yes. Uh, uh, yes. you mentioned uh, Kill Bill is two <laughs> movies. Just a shameless yes. plug here. Go back in our in our, our real blend Filmography of podcasts, I guess. <laughs> Listen to the Quentin Tarantino episode where he will prove you and Sean both wrong. Thank you. Gabe, am I allowed to ask Kevin about the Quentin Tarantino story now, or does that come up later on the show? He's debating. Oh, later? Oh, I heard you. Yeah, I heard Gabe's you. do it now. So Kevin brings up Quentin Tarantino being on our podcast, and this is uh, surreal. The boys were out in Los Angeles for <laughs> an historic weekend. Uh, and I played along from home, uh, watching them via social media and our text message chain. At one point, our text message chain got over, was it over 300 texts? 
unread texts in Gabe's email. When the guys travel, we often talk a lot, a lot, uh, and keep each other up to up to date. But they went out there for, in a nutshell, and we'll get into some of these stories a little bit later in the show. But it was um, the Irishman, which we'll talk about. Uh, the Terminator 2 junket, which we will talk about. And uh, then Jake ran out to uh, New York to meet uh, the the um, Game of Thrones lady. And uh, <laughs> she Game has a name. Lady. Game of Thrones lady. <laughs> I was trying to think of one of her nicknames. That is Brick my dog's Chains. namesake. How dare you? Bri- no, Mother of Dragons. That's what I was trying to think of. Mother of Dragons, Breaker of Chains. I, the point of me of Game of Thrones, I'm supposed to get things wrong. But while they were there doing all of this amazing stuff... They are in the uh, restaurant at the Four Seasons. Is that correct? Is that where you guys saw, yep. saw him? Yep. Yeah. And and who was there but former Real Blend uh, guest uh, Quentin Tarantino. And at this point, I'll turn it over to you guys to explain how it went down when you realized that you were in the same uh, restaurant bar as Quentin Tarantino. I, I want Kevin to start because Kevin started the moment and I was just lucky enough to be able to jump in. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Sean references this historic weekend. I was actually just driving home from work just now um, before we recorded our podcast, thinking about what just occurred over the past three or four days. Um, <laughs> and we're going to get into that later in the show. But this, to, to give some perspective, this moment that I'm about to explain happened about 30 minutes after we had just spoken to Martin Scorsese, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro. So just keep, keep that in mind on a level of As where we does. are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, this is all happening in the same hotel. So Jake and I, you know, we go upstairs to our rooms probably to, like, decompress a little bit, come back down, and, uh, you know, before we're going to see, uh, this was, was this the Doctor Sleep Night or Terminator Night? I think this was Terminator Night. And so we, uh, I, I walk into this, the, the lobby bar of the hotel we're staying in and, uh, props to Jeff Howard, who's also a, a member of the BFCA, who's, uh, a, a real blind listener of our show. So I walk into this, this lobby bar and Jeff looks at me and goes, Kevin, don't stare, but look over my shoulder to see who's sitting there. And I, and I, I literally look up and I don't see anybody. I don't see what he, and so I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you, are you doing some kind of joke? He goes, and he turns around and he goes, oh, my God, he was just sitting there. Sorry. I'm like, oh, no, no, there he is. And he points back. I look over my left shoulder in the bathroom area, and it's Quentin Tarantino. Um, <laughs> uh, first of all, yes, I've met him multiple times. It doesn't uh, take away from the fact that when I see him physically in person every <laughs> single time, yeah. uh, my, my, my jaw just drops. It's, it's still <laughs> surreal to me. I don't care what anyone says. Everyone uh, Kevin, you've interviewed him before. You have pictures with him. You've met him before. I don't care. It's sure. still Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I don't care. So I, I walk over with my wife, Lauren, and I, he, I, I said hi to him. I said, hey, great to see you again. You were on my pod, our podcast. And he goes, oh, that's right. You, you're with the three guys. You guys were awesome. I had such a great time. And he was like, he remembered the show immediately. I didn't bring up that we had two other hosts. I just He brought up that we had three guys on the show. Um, That's incredible. Three other guys. So he was referring to Gabe as well. So he's including all four of us. And so he. That's he, unfortunate. Well, <laughs> then he starts. So anyway, so I, I show him the tattoo and I can tell he's like people are starting to bother him. I don't want to be that guy. And then Lauren pulls out her phone and she has a photo of her recreation of Sharon Tate, where she went to the movie theater where Margot Robbie shot her scene. And so Quentin like takes her phone. He's like zooming in on it. Um, I, I didn't mean to call him Quentin, Mr. Tarantino. He's like zooming in <laughs> on his on the phone. And I said, "Listen, 
I know you're slammed. I don't want to bug you. Do you mind if I take a photo with you just because I have my tattoo? And he goes, oh, no problem at all. He goes, I'm not busy. It's fine. I was like, I know, but this is your personal time, whatever. And then I, we took the photo and then I shake his hand. I congratulate him and his wife because um, who, who she just recently announced she's pregnant. He's been very happy about that. Very thankful. And then I walk away and I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> Scorsese earlier, now Quentin Tarantino. It's a little too much. So, oh, by the way, well, uh, before I went over to Tarantino, uh, when Jeff was telling me where he was, I looked over at the table. Tarantino just left like a notebook and notepad just sitting there on the on the on the on the on the table where he was sitting. I'm like, what if someone walks up and just takes that? What's in there? What if it's a script? Well, all it like- was is a sheet of paper that said, "Kill Bill, one or two movies?" Question mark. And he just circled it a bunch of times. <laughs> he He's still the He's like, I don't know. Right. I got to ask a question. I got to ask a question. Yeah. If you're Quentin Tarantino and you walk into the Four Seasons bar and you realize it's during a BFCA uh, event or the, you turn the around weekend and leave. of a BFCA event. Yeah, right. <laughs> you turn around and your leave. Your first reaction just, oh, shit. In all seriousness, like, if, if you've never been to Hollywood or you've never, you know, you, your perception of going to Hollywood means like seeing an actor or seeing a celebrity in real life. And, and I'm not the first person to say this, but you, but you guys know it's true. Pick a Friday or Saturday night. Go post up at the Four Seasons bar and just order yourself a $40 drink and just <laughs> sit there and sip on it. Because there's a good <laughs> chance you're going to sure. see somebody. But, uh, and even better, if you plan it over an awards weekend. Oh, like yeah. The, when we were just there for Joker, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there was – what was going on that weekend? Um, why Tons was every, All the TV people were there. Something was going on. Uh, uh, it was the Emmys. The Emmys. Oh, oh, it was the Emmys. Dave says it was yeah. the Emmys. It was yeah. the Emmys. And we ran into a ridiculous number of TV people. I was ch- uh, checking out in the lobby, and Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad was just there hanging out with his family. And I was like, what? And then Gabe was, did a little, Gabe came off the elevator and did a little, uh, like a head shake kind of recognition thing with um, Jon Snow from oh, Kid Harry. It's weird though because you have to be there. careful because we, we so often, you know, we'll get into debates about movies, and you have to be careful in this hotel really <laughs> ragging on a movie. Because there's a good yeah. chance that the but right behind you is the producer or the writer or the director of right. the star of the movie you're ragging on. Yeah, it was at that same hotel that Sean's that that um that uh, the guy who played uh, the King of the North, uh, Sean Snow, spoiled the. Right, anyway, so oh, so, okay, I'm gonna pick up. Can I pick up the next part? Yeah, yeah. So finish. Okay, it. so yeah, then finish it. Kevin comes over and starts to tell me the story, and I'm like, dude, we have to go back. I want to see him too, man. So Kevin was very gracious because I know because also we didn't want to ruin the moment that Kevin had. So he said, "Okay, well, like let's walk together, and I'll keep walking, and then you just yeah. stay right there." So I kind of was like waiting because uh, Jeff you Howard, who, who uh, Kevin mentioned, was still talking to Quentin Tarantino, and I was sort of just like awkwardly standing there, and I was like, "I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do with my hands." Right when Kevin walks back, Jeff Howard looks at us and goes, "I got to say, I love the podcast that you did with those guys," and. Tarantino, he looked over at, at Kevin. He goes, "Oh yeah," and then sees me. He goes, "Oh hey yeah oh." And he goes, "Oh he goes, it was too short." He goes, "We we like he goes, I I could have kept going talking to you guys. We need to do ninety minutes, Kevin. Didn't he say that? We need to like we got to do ninety minutes together." But he got, he started geeking out about cinematography. He uh, he was so awesome, and he didn't need to be. Um, but it was a really cool moment. If you go to any of our social medias, you can find a photo or some comments about it. But it was a uh, he was very aware of our podcast. He was very aware of being on our show, and he wanted to do it again. And it was a really cool thing, because think about how many people he talked to, how long ago that was. That was July, um, and this was happening at the end of October. And we um, would love to have him on really if cool. Gabe approves it. Yes. Well, you guys don't understand. Like, when you said 90 minutes, the first thing he started to do was give the rap <laughs> sign immediately. Yeah. And I had, to, I had to be like, Gabe, it's Quentin. Like, 
like he's wants to come on and let him talk. Kind well, of he, uh, he he said if Gabe is okay with it. Now, that, that's, if Gabe is okay with that it, that was his exact fair. words. So, um, but you know, All I right. said, listen, man, I can't, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't get through to him right, right. now. Yeah, All right. we'll talk to him. We'll talk to him. All right, uh, the weekly poll. So we put a poll up on Twitter every Friday. Uh, you guys participate in it. We bring it to the podcast as a conversation. This one uh, from last week was from a film industry perspective. What is the more important film? And we gave you these choices. Uh, the Terminator or T2 Judgment Day. Kevin, which one do you think won? Oh, T- T2. There's no way T1 won oh. that poll. All right. Um, can you, you want to guess what percentage? You're right. T2 won. Do you know what percentage it got? Roughly. I mean, here's the thing. The thing about the internet sometimes is people want to just pick things just just to be just d- detracting from the popular vote. I mean, it should be 100%, but I'm going to go... But knowing the internet, 75 to 25? It was 81 to 19. Okay. 81 to 19. But I could... I, I agree it's T2, but I could see the argument for T1. Well, I'll make the argument for T1, because you don't have T2 without Exactly. Like that's, oh, and that's a pretty on. damn good argument. That, that's that, 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 that's I, like saying you don't have Vertigo without Citizen Kane. I mean, come on. I, I, I am not... That is not the same thing at all. No, it is the same thing. My point is, like, your T1, T2, is. I understand the direct correlation between a sequel. My point is, you could make an argument that every film that's coming out would not have ever happened if it wasn't for a certain director's breakthrough in, a, in technology prior to that. So I don't, I don't. Well, but let me say this: I don't buy into that. Would, would you even get? Would you even get to T two if they went with O.J. Simpson as the Terminator? Well, they they, they weren't gonna go with O.J. Simpson. That was like apparently they, I saw. So I listened. I listened. To, I watched Arnold Schwarzenegger on Jimmy Kimmel last night, and right. Arnold said that it, um, Arnold claims that it was to a point where there he was that he was being considered. I don't know if you saw Arnold's. Well, I'll let you watch it because I don't want to make the joke because I think it's a little okay. bit insensitive. Um, but I do think that at the end of the day, James Cameron has said officially, and Kimmel read it on the air, that uh, OJ was in talks, but there was never any traction given to him becoming the role. It was and didn't never Arnold to go that out point. for the Michael Bean role? I thought didn't Arnold go out for the Michael Bean role originally? Oh, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Though. I think he read for that instead. All right. Well, I would have argued Terminator, but I mean, clearly, I mean, it's hard to, to go against Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And all of this leads into the release of Terminator Dark Fate, the new, this is the sixth film in the franchise. Is that correct? Uh, but but they're saying essentially that it's coming right after T2. Uh, it's going after the, the trend of certain franchises where they say, um, ignore all those other sequels. And uh, and we're continuing from the continuing the timeline from where T2 was. So to this end, Linda Hamilton is back. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is back. You guys have seen all the trailers, but we were lucky enough to sit down with director Tim Miller. Uh, Kevin and Jake got a chance to go deep into the making of Terminator Dark Fate, his approach to the franchise and get into um, a little bit of spoiler talk, but nothing that's going to ruin the film for you guys. So, oh, Gabe is going to, Gabe says, no, he's cutting out all that spoiler talk and he's going to keep that for a little bit later. So this is safe to listen to uh, if you have not seen Terminator Dark Fate yet. So uh, without further ado, this is Tim Miller, the director of both Deadpool and Terminator Dark Fate on the Real Blend podcast. All right, uh, we're going to kick it off. Uh, Real Blend welcomes this week the great Tim Miller. Tim, thank you so much for being here this week, man. This is fantastic. It is my pleasure and my honor. Uh, This is something I never thought I'd ever say, but this is a Terminator movie that wouldn't exist in our lifetime unless Linda Hamilton said, yes, I'm going to do it. I will come back. Was there a version of this movie in your mind if she said no, and how do you put that kind of pressure on someone to say, this movie doesn't exist without you? Uh, 
Well, I, I was there before there was – before even Jim was back. David and Allison and I started talking about doing this movie. He saw a, a pre – um, a pre-finished uh, version of Deadpool because we were talking about another project and then uh, bonded over a nerd love of this one and he said, you know, I'd like to get another shot at it and would you be interested in help formulating what that was? And I said, well, one of the key things that would make me want to do it is if Jim came back because that, as a fan, would say, okay, you guys aren't... Can I cuss? And yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that as a fan would be some indicator that you weren't going to fuck it up again, right? And so, but there was no story there. And then when Jim came back, immediately the conversation turned to Linda because to me it was always about Linda Hamilton and uh, continuing that story. If Linda didn't come back, honestly, I don't know. I might have bailed um, <laughs> at that point. But, but, um, for her, I think it was re- it was just a question of whether there was something interesting that she could bring. And I think the fact that you guys have seen the movie, so I think the fact that that much time has passed allowed her story to be what it was, which I think is really interesting, and allowed uh, T-800's story to be what it was. This required a certain passage of time to make both of those characters interesting again, I think. You know, T2 changed my life. I was eight years old. I remember seeing it on the couch in between my mom and dad. Uh, the visual effects in that film, I look better than a lot of movies still coming out today, which is unbelievable. And I'm curious, because you had so many visual effects uh, to use, because technology has changed a lot since T2, where was that push-pull there of how much you wanted to get in camera versus digitally? Because I feel like you had a perfect balance just like James did on the second one. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. You're very kind. Um, I I don't know about perfect balance. It really comes down to the, I think practical effects are always great if you can do it. If it does work, it's better and cheaper to get it in camera. It's great for the actors because they can interact with something and not, you know, people acting on a, on a green screen is, is tricky. Um, so that's good. Um, I think it's particularly important to have those practical like the truck flip for instance you yes. know it, it became a thing where are we gonna do we have to flip a real fucking truck tim yes we have to flip a real fucking, <laughs> yes we have to flip a real fucking truck and there were times in post where i said did we have to flip a real fucking truck um, but i'm but i'm glad we did because i felt like that grounded sort of the sequence in a way that it, it would be different if it didn't the where it's an option like that, where it's not an option like the C5 plane sequence where, you know, obviously we can't crash two planes together, then, <coughs> then you know, you have to rely on visual effects. But I'm comfortable with that. And so... It's your background. Yeah, and we pre-vis the fuck out of it. So you can kind of go through with the production team and go, okay, we can do this practically. Let's do it. Okay, we can't do this practically. Let's do it. Can we put Lyndon Arnold on a wire? No, we can't, we can't throw them around. And no, that attitude. Yeah, yeah. No, we can't. Um, so you you kind of go, okay. Well, then, what are we going to do? Is it going to be you know the, you're, you you kind of run through your list of options? Is it going to be a stunt double with a face replacement, or is it going to be an all CG shot? Mm. <coughs> um, and you just kind of work your way through in a very logical way. But my approach to visual effects is is let the cheapest, most uh, effective way win. Um, if I can do it practically and that's cheapest great if the cheapest ways to do it with a with cg great um i'm not afraid of them blending together or or feeling like they coexist which is not to say that i think we nailed it in every single shot because i don't um 
but I thought we did a pretty good job. Oh, damn good. Thank you. you. You do something really interesting with this movie is you walk this really fine line of fan service where there are some really great throwbacks that I really enjoyed. And there were moments where I was like, is he is he going to do that? Is he going to do the throwback? And you didn't, which I love. You avoided some of what I thought were going to be very obvious throwbacks. What is the balance of kind of tipping the cap and, and sort of like giving fans that, that acknowledgement of the past films, but then also going, no, this has to be its own film on its own because there are a lot of moments I thought you were going to do this very obvious throwback and you didn't and, and I applaud you for that well I, th- I think being a fan is the key to that whole experience so I can I, I feel like because I love it and I can sit there and imagine I'm somebody on the internet or in a movie theater watching this movie and 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 decide okay what's fan service and what is honoring the franchise and and some of the stuff I feel like oh that I would you know, I'm, I'm done with Hasta La Vista, baby. Honestly, I was kind of done with I'll Be Back. I was going to, um, that's what I wanted to add, like, in yeah. regards to his question, was that something you kind of almost didn't use? Uh, I'll be honest that I had to be forced to use really? I'll, I'll Be Back. And then I said, well, if we're going to do it, then we're going to do it differently. And we're going to give it to Linda and we're going to throw it away. Like, it's not going to be... Yeah. yeah. Is that what that action is? Is it, literally throwing it, it, like, it, it I'll is. I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be yeah. back. Yeah. And and Linda tells the story again. She's like, because she won't watch the movie yet. She doesn't like to look at monitors. She hasn't watched the movie yet. She's going to be my second date to the premiere because she's going to watch it for the first time at the premiere, which scares the fuck out of me. Because uh, Linda Hamilton's disappointment is is what nightmares are made of. Uh, but hasn't slept in like five days. It's true. and But in a good way. She's the loveliest possible woman that you just don't want to disappoint her, right? Um, But (coughs) she did say thank you for that um, a couple weeks ago because her kids had seen it and said, oh, mom, it's great. In a commercial, you know, in one of the commercials, he's like, oh, mom, it's great. It's perfect. So she's like, thank you for that. Um, But the way she throws it away, because I said, just throw it away. Don't, it's not a moment. We don't want to make it a moment. Um, and then Arnold's the same way where I, I thought maybe we were gilding the lily a bit um, when he says I won't be back. But I don't know. It just felt kind of natural to be in the script there. That one was less conscious. The one that was very conscious um, was the Terminator putting on the glasses in the mirror, which is a big trope that Jim wanted. And that was the way the scene was written. And I, I just c- couldn't do it. I shot it. Um, but I couldn't believe that it actually survived without without him putting on the glasses because every time in the screenings, you feel the audience um, going, yes, 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 mm. no. You feel their disappointment. Um, and the, the, the pleaser, as my wife calls me, in me wants to go, I, I want to give the fans what they want, but I felt like so strongly that that was the wrong move because you, we've spent we're about to spend this whole time to say, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm a different guy. Um, I'm, I, I've changed and, and you can't start that journey of redemption by having him be the same guy he was. So I, I thought that that was a very conscious decision that, um, to say, I'm not that man anymore. I'm something new. 
but I cannot believe that there wasn't more studio pressure to fix it because you could feel it in the, in the theater. Well, thank you for your honesty about the I'll be back line, because I was, I was nervous about it when I initially thought I was like, is she going to say this? And it was in the trailer. But then when you watch it with the context of the movie, the throwaway aspect of it was actually the perfect way to go. Because I was, again, it's one of those things where you go, you don't want to like make people cringe if she says the line, but it was actually perfect the way you execute. So thank you for being honest. about oh, yeah, that. I was yeah, actually, sure. that, that's something I always, I was wondering if you would speak about that's pretty cool. Um, one of the things that I find interesting are happy accidents in films. Uh, and one of the craziest, coolest stories I've ever heard was that sequence in Deadpool when he drives up with the cab, forgets the guns in the back. And that was written from what I understand because you, you guys couldn't afford essentially a gigantic yeah. shootout. Yes. Uh, from what I understand is that that's, that's, that's the story. Um, what was a, a similar, any type of happy accident on this movie where um, maybe a visual effect was done because to save time or something along those lines, like Deadpool? I know it's a different budget, obviously. But. Jeez. <coughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of any happy accidents, partly because this film had, you know, triple the budget. Uh, Deadpool was, and that requires a lot more planning. You know, you're in prep for a lot longer. Um, so I, I don't know. I can't say that there were... I can't say that there were any happy accidents. It it was kind of very methodical in the plan. And you know, you've heard that that old, you know, there's the there's the movie you write, there's the movie you shoot, there's the movie that, that you you make and edit, um, which is certainly true, but um it was more about condensing stuff in editorial because we just shot too much fucking movie um than it was about um you know, having to do anything because we didn't have money. Time, time we were short of, but so you're clearly a movie fan, and you're also someone who seems to have uh, his finger on the pulse of, of what fans think and how they feel about certain things. And I'd imagine that you know there are a lot of Terminator fans that don't like the past few movies. That have what? Come, I know. It's surprising. This they is, don't, comes as a surprise I know. to me. Yes. Whenever you come into a movie like this, and you know how people feel about the past few ones, do you have to look at the past few movies and ask yourself, what did they do wrong? Why don't people like those movies? Uh, we looked at all those movies, but it wasn't with that in mind because I knew the answer to that question. What is the answer? You know, it didn't have Linda Hamilton in it. It, 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 it is essentially Sarah's story. And, and y even if they focused on Sarah, you, it's not Linda Hamilton and, and it, that it's always going to feel, um, odd. Um, and that's nobody's fault. I'm not taking away from anything in those movies. The other reason we really look at those movies is because even though they're not officially part of this timeline, you also don't want to do anything that they did that looks like you're copying it, even though I still did in, in a couple of places there because there was there were so many movies and so many good ideas in there. Um, you're inevitably going to solve them in the same way. And <laughs> you know, it was the same thing with Jim's approach to this movie. Sometimes it was, you you can see that he put a lot of thought in into the franchise, these characters, and the situation. Um, and in many ways, he had already solved these problems the best way they could be solved. And so to do it a different way, um, like Legion's origin being you know very similar to Skynet's. Well, in Jim's mind, that's the way a rogue artificial intelligence arises. Mm. We're gonna hit you with Full some stop. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, mind, sorry. that's it. Uh, we're gonna hit you some rapid fire stuff because we don't have a okay. lot of time with you. Um, okay. Uh, we're gonna get into spoilers shortly. If this is 
um, on the spoiler line, let me know. Uh, we can be very vague about it. Uh, talk about de-aging Furlong and Hamilton. Um, it, can you talk about the effects on that? Because that looked phenomenal. Did yeah, they shoot thanks. those scenes? Did Furlong shoot that? Um, we all of the characters, Linda Arnold and Eddie, all did facial capture. So the the the, the CG model of the young version of them is driven by um, a, a, them performing the the various expressions and dialogue. There was originally dialogue in that scene. We decided <coughs> to not have it. So they came in and did a day of facial capture. In Eddie's case, it was just for this. In Lyndon Arnold's, we, it was for this and so much more. And then it's a body double. So it's a person with a little cap on that allows us to track their head. Uh, and then the wizards at ILM um, replaced replace their heads and it's not just there it's all you know there's the younger version but throughout the scene we use either all cg doubles or digi double our head replacements where you know we're using stunt actors and we're replacing their heads these days when studios are making you know these big franchise movies you're not just making the movie that you're making now you're also a lot of times setting the groundwork for what's coming i'm curious how much of the future do you know that uh, of the storyline, and does that storyline potentially involve Robert Patrick coming back as uh, as, a, as an as an older T one thousand? I wouldn't answer that question even if I knew it, um, but I but I can tell you that I mean, look, we Jim said it before we we broke three films worth of story, and I and I know where it's going, but we stopped talking about those movies when we started making this movie, so. Um, whether another filmmaker will pick it up and take it in a different direction than we had originally planned. Uh, they certainly can, and they probably will. I doubt it'll be the same exact story that we came up with. The, the implication being that it wouldn't be you, like you wouldn't come back to, to do Look, the next I, one? I was grateful just to play in this sandbox once. It's Jim's sandbox, and he can take his toys and do whatever he wants with it. I'm just grateful that I got uh, to do this one. Um and there's a lot of stories to tell. And I'm old, you know, so I have a, I have to look at, you know, how many more movies I can make. Um, but, uh, oh, the other part, of, what was the other part of the question? Uh, T-1000. Uh, uh, I, I can't tell you about I couldn't tell you about would that. You, would I'd, you like to, as a fan, would you like to say, like, if, it, if it's not you moving forward, do you hope the next guy brings him back? I can't answer that question. I don't, I don't want to set those expectations on, on him. I feel like we did, we did, uh, the fan service with this 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 Terminator being a combination of those two things, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it would work the same way for him. It couldn't work the same way. I mean, because he's kind of set the T eight hundred up as the, it ages like a, a real human. Robert Patrick wouldn't age like a real human. He'd yeah. he'd be forever young, which means a digital Robert Patrick the whole time, which is something that I wouldn't suggest a filmmaker do. But you know. Right. Well, one more question a piece, sure. and then we'll let you go. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of wanting to be, you should go until they come in and drag. Hey, if you if you're cool with that, we, we could just to just keep doing it until she drags hey, the mic out. Cool. Here. If you're enjoying this, yeah, then yeah, we're all for sure. It. Um, you know That's what I'm here for. If you, just as a fan, I know that you're a fan of the original uh, Terminator and Terminator Two. Hypothetically, just having fun watching those movies. What is one sequence that you wish that you could have a crack at directing, where you look at that and go, "That looks that looks fucking cool." In Terminator Two, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I th my favorite moment in those whole movies is when they're in the pickup truck and Arnold climbs from 
the back and yes. up onto the front yes. and machine guns the guy. And the, that's kind of what I was thinking of where the scene we have where he machine yes. guns yeah. the guy in the face. Yeah. That was kind of the same idea. And then Jim said, which we could never do these days, but Jim said that stunt guy did it without a wire. Come on. Totally. He just did it. Um, which we would never be allowed to oh do today. Um, How did he get by with that then? I mean, that wasn't that. I don't long know. Ago. It's fucking dangerous yeah. shit, man. You'd be, you'd slip off, and you'd be under the treads of the truck. Oh my god, fucking crazy. Jeez. Yeah. You know, I love in the opening um, recalling Linda's uh, television or video moment from the first T uh, from T two. Best uh, ideas I ever had. It, it's, that was, that, well, it's a cool idea really because it also plays on T one redoing that scene too. Uh, obviously, uh, except for it's someone else in the first one, the original. Um, but I find that interesting, and you actually put that on screen in this gigantic IMAX theater, and you still have to match it tonally to what you're doing. Um, what is the idea of, like, when we open with that, and then we cut to your cinematography, your own movie, is there a matching you do well, there? Here, here you go. I should have thought of this. That is the idea. That's the happy accident thing you were looking for earlier, because the what we had done, uh, originally we had all these logos up front. We had like a minute and a half of logos. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, we got a <laughs> fucking minute and a half of fucking logos. We got to make this relevant. And so I said, maybe we should use, we should play back snippets of the movie. Maybe we should, to the editor and Julian's like, oh, that's a good idea, Julian Clark. And then we found that piece. Yes. We remembered that piece and it fit like like it yeah. was meant to be like a glove. And Didn't then we Jim, look at each other then, when it came up? And Jim had the idea of, you know, maybe you should insert some little flashbacks of the actual footage, which at first I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. Um, and then we we started fooling with how to do it. And That's 35 and it, it mil great. and you're digital. So that must have been an interesting blending there, Yeah, right? but we're stepping on it so much that you kind of get away with any kind of fuckery that, um, you want to, and we'd purposely make it look like, because that was, that was from a, a TV screen. Uh, yeah. Three quarter inch deck. Uh, wow. Shitty. Um, they filmed the actual TV screen and we got the 35 of them filming the TV screen, what? But, Come but, on. but we didn't get the original, we didn't get them the original footage of them before they put it on the VHS, right. if, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Tim Miller, this has been we nothing. Should we, we got a couple more minutes? Yeah. Oh my God! Okay, so one of the things that I remember uh, about T two was going into it and being genuinely surprised that Arnold was the good guy this time. I mean, I, th I remember the studio sort of really kept that under wraps. It was a massive deal, Brilliant. and then you, I remember thinking that the T one thousand was going to be the next savior. These days, with the internet and people kind of picking apart every single frame from the trailer, it's harder to surprise. Is it? Is it? I mean, is it possible? Is it ever going to be possible to do to do anything like that ever again? I don't think so. No. It, yeah. Does that bum you out as I, a filmmaker? Yeah, I think you can hide some turns, but you can't hide the fact that Arnold is in the movie. I was developing this other movie at Sony, and I was protecting this big uh, turn in the middle with these creatures that go crazy and they're docile before. Anyway, I'm going, no, we got to protect that, blah, blah, blah. And the executive goes, well, it's going to be in the trailer, Tim. These things are like ripping people apart. And I'm like, fuck, you're right. Uh, okay, well, never mind. Um, you know, and I, it's hard to fight the math that people like it better when they have some intimation of the story. Film nerds and me included like the surprise of it all but studies show yeah. that those damn studies I know but hard. it's hard to it's it's hard to you can't say fuck the fans you can't say fuck the theater goers um, so you I love 
test screenings because they they tell you so much about that. And even if you don't want to hear it, sometimes you fucking got to listen to it. You know, some of my, uh, so I grew up watching T2. My favorite cut of the movie is a special edition because you get the smile scene and you get um, a lot of great elements. But some of the best trivia ever uh, in movie history comes out of that film. But I love the idea that the security officer when T1000 comes up is actually the twin brother of that security officer. But even Linda Hamilton's twin sister at yep. the end of the film. Um, did Linda Hamilton's twin sister get to come Shit. play on this one? <coughs> she did not. Was there a thought about possibly doing that? No, I don't think I don't think they look that much alike anymore. So no, Linda never never brought it up. Oh, that's interesting. They don't look because because yeah. they look almost you know identical in, in the Terminator films. So we are obviously as you can tell, Linda wanted to control every aspect of her performance. So to give it to give it up to anybody, <laughs> yeah, like literally the stunt double. Uh, is it physically possible for me to do it? Okay, well then I'm going to do it. Wow, good for her. Yeah, she loves it. We are, as you can tell, pretty pretty geeked out to be here, and we're pretty big fans. And tomorrow we're sitting down with Arnold and Linda, and which we're insanely geeked out about. And uh, the hardest thing I think for both of us, I'm speaking for you too, Kevin, is, is like kind of getting over our geekdom and our fandom in order to sort of be professionals and go, okay, we gotta we gotta do this interview, we gotta do this. Then ask them some questions that are not the normal questions. Like, we're trying so to. So what yeah. was it like to yeah. do? You know, oh, that, we, we, that, ne- we never lead with what was it like. That, yeah, because was, because you'll have to you're gonna knock you gotta knock them out of their comfort zone. Of, yeah. Like oh yeah. yeah. Well that's. That we actually have we have what we call geek out dinners where we sit down and we practice our questions on each other to and we kind of help each other kind of form questions and that stuff. Before you walked in here, that's what yeah, we that's what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a filmmaker, I know that you're obviously I can tell by the product of this movie that you're a fan as well. Do you have to? Do you have that moment where you have to sort of get over and go, okay, I got to get past the fandom and I I've got to be their director. I have got to be able to tell them what to do. How hard is it to not be a fan anymore? You know, by that time, by the time you get to that moment where you have to direct them, you you have uh, you've gotten to know them quite a lot because they've been there for a few weeks before the camera rolls. Or I've met Arnold, you know, early on. You can kind of get a sense of what kind of person they are. So I'm so in at that time. I'm so involved in just like doing my fucking job the best I possibly can that the fanboy really doesn't have, there's no, there's no room left for him in the process. Um, every once in a while you have a little moment where you go, holy fuck, it's Linda Hamilton. You go full Chris yeah. Farley. Like, yeah. Remember that time? Holy fuck, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, but usually I'm just involved in the, you know, 800 questions that are being asked or, you know, what do we got to do? What's the next setup or that sort of a thing. Um, and they're both so normal, regular people that, you know, you're still directing Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. It's a, it's crazy to me. It's he, amazing. He does. Yeah. You know, and Arnold will fuck with you. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely true. Like the no cigar, no smoking on set. Arnold's like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, going off, this is going to be the final question. My favorite scene in T2, besides the smile scene, which Jim uh, James Cameron cut out of the movie, was the thumbs up. And, you know, to me, that's, it's the first time I ever cried in a film. It was like, it hits me harder than I could ever imagine, just the way he does it. Um, Jake and I were sitting in the theater last night watching your film, and it, there was a moment where that could have potentially been, happened. Um, and Jake and I were like, I'm glad he didn't go thumbs up there because I feel like that would have been too on the nose. Was there a version of that scene where he went like that? Never. And it would never happen in a Thank Tim you. Miller Thanks. movie. Yes. But but I can only say that the, that was not my favorite movie, part of the movie. And the fact that it is yours is a symptom of your age. Yeah. <laughs> I think that you saw it because when I saw T2, I was 27, right? But one of the first things I asked Linda is, how do you feel about the thumbs up or uh, moment? And she's like, no. And I, and I went, 
okay, we're going to be fine. Uh, because but I because love that scene. I know. Was and, it because and, we were and that it, age when it, it, it came out? It is. And, well, Jim loves that scene. Many people love that scene. For me, it's just, it's a little, it's iconic, I know, but maybe a little too sentimental um, for. Oh, Tim, I love that I know, scene. I know. <laughs> and I don't want you to not love it. Uh, it <laughs> you ruined my childhood. I, I want you to love it the way you, you can only love those moments in your life when you feel that the world is a good place and do we know only good Arnold's things will happen. For real? I want to ask them that tomorrow. Do you know if it's actually Arnold's I thumb? Do, I do not know that question. That's my opening question tomorrow. Well, yeah. Uh, you should, yeah, you should ask. Is that really your thumb? I want to know if it's his I thumb. I can tell you that every, almost every actor, except Linda Hamilton, Hamilton um, and Arnold, actually, for that matter, comes to set and, and immediately looks around like, who in the crew has hands that look like mine? Um, <laughs> because because then they don't have to be in that shot, like it's opening a doorknob or whatever. They, can, they can go back to their trap. Yeah. Yeah. His hands drawing the Kate Winslet photo on Titanic, right? That's, those are Jim Cameron's hands. What if it's Jim Cameron's thumb? I, yeah, I would bet you that it's not. But I would also bet you that Arnold will never admit that it's not. But who knows? Let's Why say not? that. Well, let's say that it is. Yeah. I, yeah. I, wouldn't you feel better if it was? It's, I've been going over all my questions, and that's the one I was like, I was like, I've always wanted to know that. But all right, well, thank you, Tim. Yeah, uh, this has been, been an honor. Thank you for for someone who's eight years old and saw Terminator Two for the first time to sit in a the theater last night and actually get an experience. That was like the way I felt when I was eight years old. Um, it was just a pleasure. So. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. So as Sean mentioned, there were some spoiler things that we did discuss, and we are going to put those out uh, after the release uh, through articles and YouTube. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But, you know, the interview, it's interesting because Jake and I sat down for the interview and we were told 20 minutes or so. And you'll hear you heard in the audio, Tim Miller said, no, just keep going until they come in and get you. So it's funny because <laughs> like we, we have we have meetings before we do these interviews and we called Gabe and we were like, Gabe. We want to do some spoiler talk because this movie is very spoiler heavy. And what should we do? So we we purposely saved the spoiler questions for the last two questions of the interview. But then that's when Tim went, oh, let's keep going. So Gabe's editing process and that thing's going to be a bit insane. But you guys, the spoiler talk is actually very fascinating. So please check CinemaBlend.com. Check their YouTube channel um, come Monday the 4th around that time period, uh, that week, and we'll have those up. But, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was really cool to talk to him. He was so nice. Uh, and, obviously, Deadpool 1 was an incredible film, which probably landed him this job, right, I would assume, right? Oh, I think so. And thank you very much to Paramount for yeah. hooking us up with that. That's a fantastic opportunity that they gave us in promotion of uh, Dark Fate. Okay, talking points, and I can't wait to get Jake's opinion on the news that broke <clears throat> most recently that the Game of Thrones writers, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who for the longest time have been uh, allegedly working on a Star Wars trilogy uh, that, <laughs> like so many Star Wars projects that come and go uh, through various phases, has now been canceled. And um, for, for various reasons, uh, whoever side you want to believe, uh, Jake, your reaction to hearing that uh, the two Davids, Benioff and Weiss, who we primarily know from Game of Thrones, are now not going to be playing in the Star Wars sandbox. Uh, well, my first thought was, because, you know, there was a rumor, what I think a probably pretty substantiated rumor, that the reason that they rushed through the end of Game of Thrones as quickly as they did was that they wanted to get to Star Wars as quickly as possible. Right. Had you, yeah. had you heard that? Yes. And, and, and I believed it. I believe it, too. And so the fact that we got shortchanged on the back end of <laughs> one of the greatest shows of all time. For nothing, right? For no reason whatsoever, it it kind of stings a little bit. If I'm being honest, sure. I feel like 
I didn't even H- think about that aspect. Yeah, that that that's that hurts me. Um, I feel like HBO, both HBO and Disney, they do something that kind of bothers me, which is they just announce things and then flippantly go, ah, nah, we changed our mind. <laughs> I mean, HBO has announced like season two. Like usually their HBO's big thing is after the first episode of a series airs, they immediately go, we're, we've greenlit season two. It did so well. We're going to season two, baby. And then season one doesn't do so well. And they go, nah, it's canceled. <laughs> right, right. So, so, and then, I, you know, this is obviously not the first time that uh, Disney has changed their Star Wars plans where they've uh, backtracked something or well, canceled let's, something. Let's go over a few of those. Uh, obviously, Lord and Miller getting removed yes. from Solo. I think yeah. being the biggest one. Colin yeah, Trevorrow. Like mid-production. I think we're Colin never going to... I don't think we're ever going to see a Ryan Johnson Star Wars movie ever again. Oh, you think that's done too? I wow. think that's done. And uh, so it just, like, it makes me realize that, like, you can't really... Like, I feel like 85% of these announcements are either A, Josh testing Trank. the water or or promotion. But Josh Trank? Yeah. Or, or they're just using it as promotion. Well, so, I, know, I don't really trust these announcements until... I would, I would tell you, I would say until they start filming, but Lord and Miller have shown that that's not the case. Until the movie is in front of my eyeballs, I <laughs> Maybe don't. Not even then. I, I took to quote the great Kevin McCarthy, if it happens. If it yeah, happens. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm telling you. Uh, I, I, I want to say that you and McGregor said today or yesterday in interviews for Doctor Sleep that the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi show that is now going to Disney Plus was going to be a film for a long time. Uh, he was under the impression. I saw that. Yeah. That it was going to be filmed. Um, we also uh, Gareth Edwards apparently didn't uh, didn't preside over the reshoots for Rogue One. I think they brought in brought in the guy who did Tony Clayton. Um, I forget that yeah, guy. Tony, Michael Clayton. Uh, uh, Michael Clayton. To- but yeah. Tony, Tony Tony Gilroy. Gilroy. That's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, I, almost every major project aside from the Force Awakens and Last Jedi have been tinkered with in some way, shape, or form, including all these ones that they announced. It's almost like DC syndrome also, too. Like, DC always announces projects, and they sort of go away. And then to this end, uh, you know, this news sort of just broke, so we really don't know the the ins and outs of it. Uh, the Game of Thrones prequel, that's supposed to be a show on HBO that actually had Naomi Watts as the star of it, and, you know, nobody really knew what it was going to be. We were very curious to find out when it was going to be set and who it would involve. News breaks right as we're about to record that the HBO is not going forward with with that show anymore. So, yeah, Jake, that speaks to your uh, problem that you have with um, with HBO and the way that they announce things. My question is that like now and and you say the Ryan Johnson thing is going to happen. And I honestly believe that there's probably some truth to that because you don't hear any sort of um, news on it or developments toward it. And then we did hear the announcement that Kevin Feige was uh, uh, shepherding uh, a movie, but we don't know any real details about that. Just that Kathy Kennedy announces that he's going to do it. Um, There's no uh, tangible, concrete Star Wars movie uh, in the near future for us to even get excited about. And so not that – so I asked the question on social media of like what does the future of Star Wars even look like? And, you know, one of, uh, one of our friends, Drew Taylor, Drew, uh, Drew Taylor got in touch with me and he's like, yeah, you're right. They're never going to make any more Star Wars movies ever again. It's all done. I was like, all right, I understand that. They're probably going to continue to make it. But isn't it a little bit strange that with this major film franchise that they have nothing on the books that we know of at the very least? Does that not concern you guys in the least bit? Well, for me, I, I'm uh, all right. Uh, this is, I'm speaking as somebody who's a fan of Star Wars, but I'm not as big of a fan of Star Wars as Jake. Um, sure. But I... Um, Jake mentioned something today in our in our text thread, which, you know, when a Star Wars fan says something like Jake said, which is the idea that 
episode nine is now uh, less exciting compared to the Mandalorian. Um, I, I find that to be uh, a, a great example of fatigue. And I find when episode seven hit, when force awakens came out, it was genuinely one of the most exciting times I've ever seen about going to the movies that, and even something like Endgame this year. Uh, and, you don't feel that now. I mean, episode eight, regardless of what you think about it, uh, it didn't leave a lot open to be excited about into episode nine. So I guess my point is there's like so many of these films and my anchors on the air sometimes say, where does this one exist? Like today I was, I was airing the Mandalorian trailer and I had to like, kind of like break down. This is, this is, this is not in the Skywalker saga. It does take place five years after return of the Jedi. Uh, but it's not the same storyline. There's no, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten to a point where I don't think average moviegoers are understanding where all this stuff is fitting in. It's confusing. And the idea that Skywalker's coming out in December and ending a Skywalker saga over nine films, yet the leading three characters from the original trilogy are nowhere to be found in this film in the sense of a leading sense. Uh, I, mean, I mean, clearly we think that Luke's going to come back. Carrie Fisher's performances were from Seven will be there. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with if they'll bring Han Solo back some crazy way. I have no idea. But my point being is that, like, it is gotten to a point. So when I read a story like DB, uh, this, this Game of Thrones creators being taken off of the film, I'm like, I think it's the right move. I mean, I, I, I'm just, I don't know that we need three more Star Wars films, 2022, 2024, and 2026. Um, I don't love what they did with the end of Game of Thrones. I think that maybe Kathleen Kennedy took a step back. I don't know. I don't want to speak for her, but when you look at something like season eight, uh, which did not have the George R. R. Martin writing behind it, um, and then you see what those guys delivered in season eight, whether you like it or not, it was definitely not a great season in regards to critical sense of how overall uh, reception from fans. So, and then they, they say things like this, which really bothers me. In, in some press conference or some Q&A they did recently, I think it was yesterday, one of them said something to the point of, we don't care about fan reaction. Did you see that quote? It was something about fan reaction doesn't matter to us. I'll, I'll, I'll find the exact quote, but it was, it was very dismissive of how fans, like, to me, that's the but way, see, I, see I, hold, hold on, let me say something. I, I, think yeah, that's the way a, I think that's the way a fifth grader responds to someone saying, being critical of their work. Like, to me, it's like they can't accept that season eight didn't live up to expectations. And I think by saying, I don't care what fans say, is a very immature and dismissive way. My point being, though, is that giving these guys another Star, a Star Wars trilogy, while they also signed this massive Netflix deal at the same time, just seems weird to me. Like, I don't understand. I know they were given Star Wars prior to Netflix, but why would you take the Netflix deal if you were working on Star Wars? And then some people argue the ending of season eight was affected because they were already working on Star Wars. And it's like, yeah, the, these, well, guys, these yeah. guys don't know. I mean, again, this is all speculation and alleged, but I do find it fascinating that that they couldn't focus on one thing or the other. And that that to me is a problem. I, okay, I will just to defend what they said about not listening to to fan reactions. Kevin, you work in local news, man. Mm-hmm. You and and Sean, you you work you 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 understand the the dangers of a comment section. If we all changed what we do based on random viewers who get it up within themselves to watch the news and then find our Facebook page 
and leave a comment telling us what's wrong with our hair or what's wrong with our makeup or what's wrong with the shirt we're wearing. There's we nothing wrong with people. your hair, sir. I, see, no, I think I'm that's aware. completely different because they were praised I, for six thing. or seven seasons. And that season, I mean, listen, I understand it's an opinion, but that season was nowhere near the quality. And I think you as a Game of Thrones fan could agree. No, no, and we, we were saying earlier, like, we were shortchanged because of Star Wars. So to then not get Star Wars, I mean, if, if, if we were shortchanged because of Star Wars and then they turned in an amazing Star Wars trilogy, I think it would have made the pill that was season eight go down a little easier. Sean. I want to bring up a, a bigger problem, which is if these guys pitched a story that was big enough for a trilogy, right? And, St- and Kathleen Kennedy and the team at Star Wars believed in whatever the concept was to, to be strong enough to carry three films, then it should be pretty easy for them to keep those three films on the calendar and find a filmmaker who can step in and, and do that story. Exactly. We don't or, know that they're not. Or did they just, did, did Benioff and Vice come to Star Wars and say, we want to make a trilogy? And Star Wars was like, go ahead. Like, did they not have an idea? Is there well, not a story? Well, this goes back to the idea of the discussion that I think we had a couple weeks ago, and I think Jake can speak to this more. Um, and I don't know the the exact details surrounding this, but you go into episode seven, eight, and nine. From what I understand, they did not have a concrete idea of what the full scope of that story was. Am I right or wrong 100%. on that? Okay, so it, no, I think you're right. Playing to your point, Sean. Then yeah, they probably just kind of pitched three movies, and they were like, yeah. Whatever. Well, I mean, and and you know again, I mean? I, I'm going to take the Marvel side because I love Marvel. But but when Kevin Feige maps out Phase Four, right? He knows what he wants the Doctor Strange story to be, or the Black Panther Two story to be, and he'll work with Kugler and Derrickson. But it's not like he just says to those guys, "Make Black Panther Two. You know, doesn't care what it's going to be. In fact, just haven't we often heard like the Russo brothers say like, "Oh, we wanted to do this, but then we had to run it by Feige, and Feige either right. said yes, like thumbs up or thumbs, right. down, thumbs yeah. down." But no one is doing this at Star Wars. Well, because it also Feige like has doing this. like uh, Feige has a long term. Like not only does he know what the Doctor or Doctor Strange story two is going to be, he knows what it's going to be in relation to something that's going to happen in Phase Five. Yes. So he might like the things that he knows. He can say no, don't do that in Doctor Strange two because so it might mess with something my, that he knows is going to happen that they don't know is going to happen. Right. Yet. And so my bigger point would be that Star Wars would be in a healthier place. If they knew the stories that they why doesn't Kathleen Kennedy know this? Why does she? Why doesn't she know all this stuff? Right. So that if those guys up and left, they just said, "Well, that's fine." There's a thousand other prominent filmmakers that would love to play in the Star Wars universe, and we'll just it can't be John Favreau bailing us out every time. For the love of God, no, it can't. I'm gonna do something I've never done on this podcast before. I'm gonna I'm gonna reference T Pain for a second here. Um, here's why. So T Pain recently, <laughs> this is interesting. T Pain recently came out with this really cool video where he canceled his tour, <laughs> and he was told by his team that he needed to tell everyone that he had some type of health issue or a family thing or whatever it was. So he gets on Instagram and he goes, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you guys. My team told me to say this, but I'm just going to let you know ticket sales were terrible. And that's why we're canceling the tour. And I just want to be honest with you about that. I thought that we had more time to plan this. We didn't. And I just want to be honest. I was told to lie to you, but I'm not going to. That being said, what are the chances that because of seasons eight critical reception and the fans being upset about it, that they were forced out. No pun intended. It's possible. It's possible, but oh, that's pretty funny. I mean, <laughs> but, funny, Kevin. but in all, in all uh, honesty, but, but, what, are, what are the chances that the, that the quotes that we're hearing from why they left 
are not the true story that maybe. Well, and then this new news story that Deadline just put out about Naomi Watts's prequel not going forward now. This all seems strangely connected to the idea. If season eight was a hit, I know it won best drama at the Emmys, whatever. That's because it was the end. But if it was a hit, I don't think we would be having this conversation right now. I really but, don't. But if that's the case, and, and and we'll move on after this. If that's the case, then I truly believe to bring it back to Jake's reference, then that means Kathleen Kennedy is reading the comment section and making decisions based on what she's reading in the comment section. But in, I mean, in when, the proverbial sense, when I and ran into troubling. Kathleen Kennedy in Chicago at that random um, throne that was in that AT and T store, coincidentally, she, no, she was there because she was there to like uh, she was wanted to support. The guys who created Game of Thrones. Remember, this was the weekend that Game of Thrones was premiering. So she was all in 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 that conversation that I had with her briefly about these guys. It just seems weird to me that they signed a massive Netflix deal in between all of this and are somehow leaving this trilogy. Right. And they weren't even going to direct. Right. They were producing and writing this trilogy. This is not a directing job from what I understand. Am, am I right about that or wrong about I that? I know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. But double check. Oh, they never they, said that they, they were going to direct directed episodes of Game of Thrones. They directed right. the biggest episodes. Right. I think they were writing and producing this series. Double check that. My point being, though, is is there am I am I reaching here or do you think there's any possibility? I'm not, calling no, trying, to call anybody, I'm not trying to call anybody a liar. I'm just wondering, is there any chance that we are not being told the full truth here? Oh, 100% chance. Of course, everybody lies. I wanted to quickly bring up and then we'll move on really fast. When, when you say people, people that the, the people in charge of these things, of the creatives, that they don't care about feedback, that is the biggest line of shit I've ever heard in my Thank entire you. life. Thank you. They all care. They all, they all care. read it. They all care. And I'll tell you, I'll give you one concrete example uh, that I can think of. Uh, we were at uh, South by Southwest for Pet Cemetery. The movie had its world premiere uh, at South by Southwest, and then we went to an after party. And uh, we're hanging out at the after party, and then I finally, like, I'm, I'm going to take off. And I'm, you had to go down an elevator from this restaurant where we were to go. And I ended up getting into the elevator with Lorenzo de Bonaventura, big time producer. producer He's with his whole team. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the producers behind um, Pet Cemetery, and he is losing his mind over the Rotten Tomatoes score because it had. Uh, 10 fresh and one negative. And he's ranting about the one negative. Well, what do they say? Oh, it's variety? No, they never. They ne- I remember the variety review from the last Stephen King adaptation. They never, we were never going to get a, a fresh from, from variety. Who wrote it? Which, what's the byline? What the, oh, we had nine. We were nine fresh right up until this. And again, very measured. It's not like he was like losing his mind, mind, but it bothered him, the, the one rotten you know he they were tracking it his team was his team was saying oh no 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 don't worry it's it's like it reads you know if you read the full review in context it's it's not that bad you know they point a couple well then why is it rotten on the site why'd they pull that one and i was just sitting there listening to this conversation they didn't know who i was i was just hanging out in the corner listening to them react about the thing and it cemented what i already always believed is that they all care they all care and they pay attention to that stuff a hundred percent so anyway this week in movies uh, <laughs> the segment where we like to talk about the films that we have not yet seen. Uh, <laughs> but this time I think we're going to bat uh, a, a little bit better than 500. Arctic Dogs. Like Anyone seen Ar- Arctic Dogs? <laughs> Nothing? No. no. I, do like, I do like the All movie right. 8 Below, though. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> oh, I do like that um, movie. Uh, oh, what about Snow Dogs, starring Academy Award winner Cuba Gooding Jr.? It's not. This isn't the point of the segment. Let's <laughs> all think of the Arctic Dog, dog movies. movies. Uh, has anyone seen Harriet? 
Not Harriet um, the Spy, but the Harriet Tubman movie. Nothing. No. no. I feel like that was a movie that everyone was sort of on the lookout for, and then it fizzled in Toronto. It's a that's a perfect example of a movie that yes did not perform well. All right, has anyone seen this movie called The Irishman? I've seen The Irishman. I believe I believe I've seen it. Yes, hey, two guys who have seen The Irishman. All right, um, react to The Irishman without telling me a single thing about it because I see it on Friday. The hell does that mean? Did you like it? Yes, I love it. it. Yes, yes. Give me your star ratings. Can you? Wait, the embargo's lifted, right? Yeah, embargo's lifted. Out of five. Can I? Wait, before we get to that, will it make your top ten? Yes. Yes. Will it make your top five? No. No. Ooh, intriguing. Um, Okay, yeah, then give me your star ratings. Can can I give you the two lines that I've been telling people? Sure. And then I won't say any more. It's the movie that Godfather 3 wants to be. Or Ooh. wanted to be, oh. but wasn't. I haven't heard that from anyone. <gasps> and it's Goodfellas from the director of Silence. Oh, that's that's actually got me really intrigued, Kevin. But I mean, it's not Goodfellas. You said two lines. I I love the film, uh, and I think it's <laughs> I think it's a film that is. Very, 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 very interesting if you want to look at maybe where Scorsese is in his life right now. That, to me, was okay. the most powerful element of the film, is the idea of what choices we make in our lives, what legacy we want to live behind, leave behind, and what happens as we get older. And, and looking back on that, that, to me, was what the gut punch of that movie was. was it, it was almost as if like Scorsese looked into the crowd and said, Make sure you make every moment of your life important and make sure you make every decision you make important and make sure you weigh what's important in your life, i.e. family, over anything else. That's kind of what I took away from it. Yes. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I'm dying that I haven't seen it yet. It's phenomenal. I'm dying. dying. Remember Uh, when one of your opening lines was, we're the podcast that hasn't seen The Irishman. Yeah. (laughs) Now you're just the podcaster who hasn't seen The Irishman. I know. Not yet. Counting down the hours. Uh, Last question, and then we'll move on to the next one. Who gives the best performance in the film? Robert De Niro. No question at all, in my opinion. Jake? Pacino does the most acting. De Niro does the best acting. Let me say one thing, and this is not going to spoil anything. This is just this is just a craft comment. Um, Pacino's performance, it, no, it's not a spoiler, I promise. Pacino's performance is the flashy one. It is the one that if you played a clip at the Academy Awards, you would go, that's amazing because he's screaming a lot, yelling a lot, but he's amazing. Pacino is phenomenal in the film. To me, the harder performance, the harder acting is De Niro. Um, and, and De Niro, it's, he is the entire film. He's the title character of the film. And it's all in his eyes. Let me say this. This is opening like a limited release and theatrically throughout the next couple weeks. See it on, in a, on the biggest screen you can. Um, but De Niro, to me, it's while it's not like screaming and yelling and like explosive amounts of dialogue, it is, it is the eyes and the face for the three and a half hours that I fell in complete connection with, if that makes sense. Pacino does screaming, you said? And he screams a lot. It, if you, it, it, Hoffa was screaming, though. Hoffa was up on these stages doing these rallies and doing the, you know, thing. And Pesci, by the way, plays against 
type, which is kind of cool, right? I mean, Jake, he, does pe- he tell Pesci? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the tagline for Pesci's poster, because they each have individual character posters, is the quiet one. Yeah. Does he's he cool. tell Pesci he's got a great ass? <laughs> That's what I was. I, I thought I heard that. <laughs> uh, Gabe says, "Quote: It's all in his eyes because the rest of him is computer generated." <laughs> is that basically what happens? No, that's don't not talk about the de aging. Don't talk about the de aging. I love that you're like, okay, is this a thing? Don't talk about it. Don't talk but about it. To clarify, uh, the movie. Here, by the way, Sean asked for a two sentence reaction because he has a flight to catch, <laughs> and he kept asking questions. So, Gabe, please note that Jake and Kevin know. listened to your orders this week, and Sean went on Did to more you? questions. Did you give star ratings, or do you want to wait to give star ratings? I'm going to wait until you see it. Let's wait till you see it. Wait till you see it. Yeah, feel free to catch up. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Sean, Sean, do your job, all right? You both have seen... Listen to this. So I haven't seen The Irishman. You both have seen Motherless Brooklyn. I have not. What do you guys want to say about that? That is a... It's a really boring, generic movie that you've seen a thousand times before, (sighs) the only difference being that the lead character has an affliction, which makes him a little bit... Different than you've seen that character before. But other than that, I mean, it is a two and a half hour slog. And, you know, whenever you watch a film noir, you're kind of heading toward some sort of a revelation. You're trying to answer a question, right? What is the answer to this mystery? And for me, I don't know how Kevin feels, but when I got to the end and you figure out, like, what it's all about, I sort of went, seriously? Like, that's that's it? That's what that's what we just spent two and a half hours, like, slogging through Brooklyn for? Was was that? That was, that was it? So uh, a not recommend for me. It was, it's the very definition of Norton being writer, director, producer, star. There was no one on set to tell him no, and it's obvious. It's well shot. I would not recommend seeing it in a theater, but, I mean, rent it maybe. I mean, it's actually not yeah. It's not a horrible film. It's just not a great movie. It's just like, it's almost like frustrating. You know what I mean? If that makes sense? Can you, can you picture that quote on the poster? Yeah. Rent it maybe, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jake, would you even say not rent it at all? Like, what, what are your thoughts? I, I don't know, man. I, I, and uh, Kevin, who's know. the biggest proponent of theatrical, yeah, who's always yeah. telling people in the theaters, he's like, rent it maybe. <laughs> I wasn't a fan uh, of it. Plug, I want to plug that uh, in addition to the Tim Miller interview, and of course Kevin did say, you know, the the, the Edward Norton conversation in last week's episode is really great. Go back and find that out. Uh, we also interviewed Robert Eggers, and it was a, a standalone little extra bonus podcast that we had for The Lighthouse because The Lighthouse opened in limited release last week. We were lucky to get him um, onto Skype at the end of last week. It kind of came together at the last minute. The boys were out in L.A., so I did it really fast. So go over to the podcast stream and make sure that you check out the interview that we did uh, with Robert Eggers. Go see The Lighthouse. House that's in theaters right now in limited release and expanding in the next couple of weeks. All right, to the big movie that's opening on November 1st, Terminator Dark Fate. You have now heard from Tim Miller. Uh, and as you all know, it T2 is Kevin's favorite movie of all time. Uh, the movie that, that realistically started him on his path uh, to where he is right now. And uh, so <laughs> leading into the junket uh, last weekend, the running joke was if it happens because Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton were going to be paired in the same room. Kevin, the way Kevin phrased it, and not, Kevin still gets way more excited about these opportunities than I do. I'm, I'm far more cynical and, and cold and jaded. But when he phrased it this way, I understood where he was coming from. He said, it's almost as if I'm getting to do the T2 junket. Yeah. And he said, to, for me, to put it into perspective, and it almost warmed my heart a little bit, not quite nearly as much. He said, it'd be, imagine if Bruce Willis did a diehard junket. Now, Bruce Willis has done a diehard junket, and he has stopped caring 
years ago. So it's not the same because Arnold and Linda are still really, really cool and are super into the characters. And so it was a beautiful moment for both of you guys, I know. Uh, but but for now, tell me, how is the movie? Is the movie worth seeing? Yeah, I, t- I think it is the it's the Force Awakens of the Terminator franchise. It's it's the the filmmakers, the storytellers going, look, this one story worked really well that one time. We've tried some other stuff. It didn't take. Let's just give them what they want. And I, it's kind of beat for beat T2. It's never going to be oh, as really? good as T2. I thought so. Okay. Kevin's more of a T2 expert than I am. Sure. It, it, I just kept thinking, oh, that's like T2. Oh, that's like T2. Oh, and to the really? end I went, okay. oh, so it's... It's T2. It's T2 too. Basically. T2's and I was, You know what? And ba- yeah, and based on how the other three Terminators have turned out, I kind of don't mind. I, I, I enjoyed myself. I, I, I thought it was good. I thought Is it was Tim really Miller good. the best director to handle a sequel outside of uh, Cameron? Yeah. Yeah, but again, the bar is pretty low, isn't it? Like, like versus McGee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Alan Taylor. Right. I, and, uh, um... It, it, this who was, this, else did one? Yeah, this, well, I don't know who did. Yeah, this, this was interesting for me because um, I wish there was a way for us to go back in time, no pun intended, uh, to to somehow have viewed this film without the Salvation movie and Genesis film. Um, if they didn't exist, how this movie would have been received? Um, I think a lot of this scaling on the grading of this movie is becoming the idea that it's just way better than the last two movies. And I, and I, right. and I, and I wonder what it's such a backhanded compliment, right? What does that say about this film? Um, I'm going to go on record and say, I love T3. I, I I'm actually, a See, T- I do not like T3. Man. I'm a big T3 fan. I loved T3. Um, T2 is my favorite movie of all time. T3 was, in my opinion, it just it, it felt good to see that the, the Arnold again. I loved the action in that film. Uh, it worked. Uh, Salvation was awful. Uh, Genesis was horrendous. Um, <laughs> so I bad. am thankful to Genesis, though, for uh, for a moment that I had with Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger in my Genesis interview where I, uh, they, it gave me an excuse to bring up my favorite T2 scene that was never in the theatrical cut, which was the smile scene. Um, so it's, it's funny. I look back on Genesis and go, thank you for existing, but you are awful. That's the way I look at it. Um, but uh, Dark Fate's interesting because it is a direct sequel to T2. It is directly after the events of T2. Um, it's like Jake said, it's to me, it was just like checking off little boxes of like, oh, there's there's this moment. There's that moment. Um it's very unnecessary, uh, but it's still fun. Uh, So I think it's hard to judge it having seen Genesis and Salvation because they were so bad. Um, It is way better than those movies, but it's nowhere near. It's not even close to T2. Uh, And I I say that because... I say you can't do that. No, my my point... Well, yes, you can. Why? It's a direct sequel. I mean, why why can't you? I mean, mean, you you can't walk into that theater thinking it's going to be... Anywhere near your favorite film of all time. My point being, though, is why not just stay home and watch Terminator 2? Answer me that question. Oh, that's interesting. Because, uh, because that's I'd interesting. like to see Linda Hamilton on the big screen again. Even even in a lesser version, I'd still like to see her back with Arnold. Even I'll, I'll take a lesser version of them together than nothing at all. Linda Hamilton is amazing in the film. Mackenzie Davis is amazing in the film. 
Um, Story-wise... I think Arnold had used well. Arnold's are great. Are the set pieces good? How are the set pieces? The, the plain one looked kind of cool. It's cool, but the action... Okay, I'm going to go. I'm gonna say this, and I have no problem saying this. The special effects in Terminator 2 Judgment Day look better than Terminator Dark Fate. And, that's interesting. And that, to me, is a very fascinating thing to but think that's, about. That's Jim Cameron, dude. But, oh, James no, Cameron, like I know him, James Cameron. So if you take Stan Winston and what he did on, mm. in, the, in 91 with that film and ILM and combining those massively amazing practical effects, also T-1000... Patrick's Robert Patrick's performance is incredible, um, and this villain in this movie is is a similar vibe to him. It's a very emotionless type of character, but it's not memorable. So it's 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 frustrating to me to think about how to review this movie because am I reviewing it on a scale of how bad the last two were, or am I coming <laughs> or am I coming at this from a perspective of as a Terminator fan? It's it is an unnecessary film that I kind of enjoyed. So it, it, it's like it's the Mr. Pib of of Terminator. <laughs> yeah. Like if T2 is Dr. Pepper. Yeah. This is a this is a damn nice solid cold glass of Mr. Pib. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and listen, here's the and thing. I've enjoyed a Mr. Pib or two in my day. But to Jake's point though, it is awesome to see Linda Hamilton back on screen. It is awesome to see Arnold Schwarzenegger right. back on screen. It is awesome to see references to Terminator 2. I just don't know at the end of the day that I needed the movie. Um, and this is coming from somebody who is a is the biggest fan of T2. It's fun. Well, it's fun, yeah. but it's not Let, great. Let's get to the more important story of the day. And then, Kevin, I'll stay on you. Uh, how nervous were you walking into that room of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton paired? And, and follow up, how did it go? <laughs> Well, it, it, I mean, it was one of those things where I, I, I've interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger a few times over the years. I've been lucky enough to have him um, as an interview. And in these interviews, we've discussed. I'm glad you clarified. Yeah. As an, I didn't as know an interview. Was, I'm very worried there for a second. What? No, my, well, I, I don't know. my point was, though, like, I spent a lot of time talking Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger in interviews. Um, I mean, he's. Well, your best one. Let me just break in really fast. You did one, like, behind the scenes at, like, a club, or where was he? What was, was that? This was the craziest thing ever so Arnold released a book called Total Recall and one day I was sitting in my $28,000 a year sales job cubicle in in Tyson's <laughs> Corner uh, at, 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 and I was looking at online and I'm like Arnold has a book coming out and I was like I have no context I've never talked to the guy before how can I interview this guy so I, I look up the publisher Simon and Schuster I call their 800 number some guy answers and he goes yeah send me an email so I sent him an email. Long story short, I had no camera at the time. I had no camera crew, nothing. I wasn't, I was working a sales job. I went to some crazy little camera spot, rented a camera and a microphone. Lauren went with me, went to a book, uh, book tour thing where he was reading some of the excerpts from the book. And they set me up in this seedy, like nasty green room in the back of this place in Washington, D.C., and Lauren held the camera on it, like uh, sat there and pressed record for me. And Arnold and I are, are sitting there doing interviews. And this was the moment when he fake stabbed me in the chest and said, stick around. He did, don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. He was doing all this, all these lines. And then I got him later for last stand. And he, he did F you a hole to me, which was amazing, which was the line from Terminator one. It was, it was awesome. So going into this room, it, I was, wait, more can I break in just for one second? Yeah. To, to that end, I never want to hear anybody tell me uh, they don't know how to make it or it's too hard, right? 
Like that just goes to show if you really want to do this, if it, if it really matters to you, if you really care, you'll figure out a way to. Now, not everybody's Kevin McCarthy. I understand that. But but you, you can figure out ways to do this if you have the dedication and the ingenuity of this kid who's working a sales job. There is always a one number. Yes, yes, exactly. There's you, always just a, a metaphor in life. There's, There's always an 800 a number. Because I, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how incredible that is to me that Kevin <laughs> just was like, Arnold's got a book. I'm going to figure out how to interview him and did it. <laughs> that's that's uh, that blows my mind. So, and, and thank you. And the co- crazy part about it was so subsequent uh, interviews later, I was able to interview him for Terminator Genesis, which I got a bunch of Terminator 2 questions in there as well. So it was it, the weird part for me was Linda Hamilton being in that room. That that was the nerves for me because I've never interviewed Linda Hamilton. I'm obsessed with the Sarah Connor character. I think she's one of the best action actors of all time. And it was this four minute window where you would sit down across from the two stars of Terminator 2, my favorite movie of all time, and we had heard the day before that their answers could go long. You might get one, maybe two questions. So the nerves were more about like getting things that I wanted to talk about with them, but also not making myself look like an idiot. And I, 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 my only thing was I didn't want to walk out of that room and I didn't want Arnold Schwarzenegger to hate me <laughs> or Linda Hamilton <laughs> to hate me. And so I, the, I do the interview and I tell them how much this movie meant to me when I was eight years old. And so I asked them, you know, was there a film that changed their life? And and they gave this, you know, she gives this answer about the way you were with Barbara Streisand. And um, Arnold tells me this amazing. So Arnold starts telling me this story. And this is where I started, like, freaking the hell out. So when I saw Terminator 2 Judgment Day for the first time, I I can remember it very vividly. I won't go into the details, but I remember sitting in between my parents and watching it on a couch from VHS rental from Farm Fresh uh, in Newport News, Virginia. And. Uh, I was sitting there and that was the moment that something clicked in my head and went, oh my God, I love movies. Oh wait, how did, how did that liquid thing just come out of the floor? I didn't know what I was talking about, but I knew that what I had seen just clicked something in my head. So that was the question to Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. What was the moment something clicked in your mind when you watched the film? And Arnold starts telling this story about seeing Tarzan with his dad for the first time. And the way he described it reminded me of the moment I was on that couch with my parents all wide-eyed and like geeking out. He was telling me this story about like going to a theater with his dad and, and he, he didn't understand that seats were like folded up and he sat down and fell on his butt and then he got back up and his dad was like yelling at him, joking around. He was talking about watching Tarzan. He said the arrows were coming at him on the screen. He was like ducking out of the way and it was the moment that he kind of truly realized how much he loved movies. Um, so to have that connection and then Interview ends, I go around to the back to take a photo, and the guy taking the photo tells me to get down because I need to, like, get to their level because I'm six foot three. Arnold literally goes, get down. Like, he does, like, and I'm like, what is going on here? And I was like, I, I, I walk around the room, and I'm like, and I, and, I, and I say, get down. And I'm like, get to the top. And I start, like, repeating his lines. Or, and he's like, I was like, dude. And I said, don't disturb my friend. And he looks and at me. And that is when Arnold hated him. Yeah. yeah. No, I walked out in a very positive way. And, like, Linda Hamilton, I was so nervous. There was a question I was going to ask, and I'll wrap this up. I was going to ask Linda Hamilton about her twin sister, which is one of them, like, my favorite pieces of movie trivia of all time is that her twin sister plays the copy of Sarah Connor um, in Terminator 2. So when T-1000 becomes her at the end in that foundry, that is her twin sister. And she, 
I was nervous about asking it for two reasons. One, I had no idea what her relationship was, was with her sister now. This is 27 years later. Um, and also, the one thing I didn't think about is that she was married to James Cameron, and I forgot about that. So I, I, I asked this question about, you know, what was it like filming this scene with your sister? And she goes into this amazing answer about pulling James Cameron aside on the set and telling him, if you make my sister upset, I'm sending her home. Because he was talking about the idea that he would bark orders on set. Like, it, it was it was interesting. And then when I left the room, Lauren was like, my wife was like, they were married. I'm like, oh, that's interesting that he was talking, she was talking about him in that way. I forgot they were married. Right, right. So it was just a really weird... But were they married during that? During C2? I, I forget when. No. But it was... <clears throat> but, it, but her... Her saying like things like, I told Jim to say this. I told my sister was getting her hair extended so she could look like me. It was like, it was very weird <laughs> uh, to be in that room. So that, to answer your question, it was, it was the, the win for me was not walking out of there with Arnold hating me. <laughs> I just wanted to walk out. But Jakey, it was, being it was really emotional for you too, wasn't yeah. it? Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a yeah, huge thing. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there are, it's funny. I think there are people of a certain age that if you grew up when that movie came out. And it was funny because in the interview with Tim Miller, he references both Kevin and I's love of the thumbs up scene. And he said, well, you know, I, I kind of thought, assumed everyone loved that scene, to which he then said, no, like if, you, if you're a person of a certain age, then yeah, you love that scene. But a lot of people thought I was a little schmaltzy when the movie came out, which I then learned in, the newsroom, in my newsroom today because I aired a clip of, of Arnold talking about that scene. And I went off about how much I love that scene, and a lot of older people in the newsroom went, nah, that scene's a little really? overly sentimental. Yeah. Um, so I only just, I was today old whenever I learned that not everyone loves the thumbs up scene. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a great moment. You know, hearing him, I don't have the connection to it quite like Kevin does. No, 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 just, no, no, no. You know, Jake, tell your six-year-old story real fast. This is a great story about the 1099-999 rack. Oh, I, I grew up in, in a very small, poor country town, and we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but I grew up down the street from a small video store. And the only time that my parents would ever buy me a movie, like for me to own and be able to watch over and over again, is if this movie store called Movie Land put it, put it on the used. It had a little, little rototiller. And they'd put used movies on there. And, you know, there might be 10 at a time. And you spin them around. And I'd run in there and spin it around and see what was used. And if it was $9.99 or less, and we hadn't gotten one in a while, my mom would get it for me. And if I were like, beg, I had to like freaking beg, mom, please, for the love of God, buy me this movie. Uh, and one day, and like I used to go check all the time to see, because T2 had been out for a while. So usually, I mean, we're talking like Jurassic Park or, you know, like something that it maybe had just come out. And so there, he would have no reason to have a used copy of T2 because it had been out. Every, it was, they were all used. But one day, he had T2 used on the used rack. For sale for ten ninety nine, <laughs> and I said, "Mom, please, please, mom, mom, please buy it for me, mom. It's one dollar. I'll do chores for a lifetime." <laughs> and she said, "No, no, you're not. No, I said nine ninety nine or less. It's ten ninety nine." And so they had me enrolled in um in, in, in hell, aka T ball, when I was a child. And I hated, I hated playing t-ball when I was a kid. Why? And I was, I because I, I was scared of the ball. I was scared that the ball was going to hit me. No kidding. Same, same as Wait, me. It's on a tee, you I idiot. Thought, yeah. <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to just like, like, I used to pray that I would be walked. So I, I, I used to like close my eyes and pray that, <laughs> that the pitcher was just really bad and would walk me. So at least I could count that I got on base. <laughs> 
And what I'd be Jake, like, yes! What Jake is saying is that, like, he, uh, he didn't hate T-ball. He hated the idea that, like, after T-ball, you would have the pitcher throwing oh, the yeah, ball. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, pitchers. Yeah, yeah it wasn't T-ball. It was, it was yeah, Little League, yeah. Little League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my, my mom and dad said, okay, if you hit a home run in this game, <laughs> we will go to movie land and we will buy you T2 for $10.99. And wow, I closed cruel. my eyes. What pressure they put on you. I know. <laughs> and I closed my eyes and I swung like I've never swung before. And I did it for Arnold. For Arnold! <laughs> and I made contact. You heard the ting of the, the aluminum against the ball. The and it looked like I was going to get thrown out at first. But God was looking over me and the first baseman missed the catch. And they said, run, Jake. So I ran to second base. And he still hadn't gotten the ball yet. So they said, keep running. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get my home run. I'm going to get it. And they stopped me at third. <laughs> so I didn't get my home run. But I got Stop in my it. mom's I got in my mom's blue Chrysler minivan. And I said, mom, please. I'm never going to do that again. Come on. Like, I got three, four. I got three bases. What more do you want from me? You can't ask anything more. And we stopped at Movie Lane on the way home, and oh. they paid the extra dollar and got my 10.99 used copy of Terminator. I mean, think about how crazy that story is. And like, and like, Jake and I didn't know each other when we were kids, but like, not to the extent of that. But I, I had a situation when I was a kid playing baseball that my dad told me if I caught three balls in the outfield that I would get 20 bucks. And I, and I remember like catching it and getting the 20 bucks. But to Jake's story, like, like the personal element and connection we have to a film like Terminator 2 is very similar. I mean, like I. Mine was more about report cards and getting my grades to an all S's instead of N's and U's, whatever I was getting at the time. And my parents... S for yeah, sexy. Se- yeah, for sexy. But uh, for satisfactory. And like I had to bribe my parents to say, if I got all S's, can you let me watch this movie? Because I was eight years old and we had a babysitter named Tiffany who watched us when they went and saw it in theaters. And I waited up for them when they got home that night from seeing it in theaters. And they were like... They were, they were going to see it for content check to make sure there was no sex in the movie. Remember, this is back in the day when parents were like... Oh, you can watch all the violence, but none of the nudity. Like, we'll, we'll let you watch True Lies, but you can't watch Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, strip sequence. Um, very, very backwards, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, my point was, though, I'll never forget, you know, asking my parents if I get all S's. And I had to, like, stop talking in class. I was, I was, I was, a, I was a very talkative kid. I asked a lot of questions. And my teachers would say, needs improvement. Uh, and I would get N's. And, they would, and my parents would be like, Kevin... And I was like, if I get all S's on my on my third grade report card, can I please watch the movie with you? And I worked my butt off, and I got all S's, and 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 that, and similar to Jake's story, you know, it was like that. That's how badly we wanted to see the movie or wanted the film, and to be in that room twenty seven years later um, as journalists and sitting across from them and just being able to talk to them about the movie, it, it's hard to explain how surreal it was. And this is not about me. This is about anybody who's a fan of these movies and Jake and I have a very similar connection to Terminator 2 and that's that's what it was like that day was crazy it was insane insane this, this all of this reminds me very much of a, a story that I shared with someone recently when I was trying to describe the dynamic of this show and I was uh, and and I'll I'm gonna leave out some of the details but we were someone was with the, the three of us in a conversation and this person um, is also a movie lover uh, you know, someone who's super into movies and also makes a living doing movies. And at the end of the conversation uh, of the three of us going off on a topic, this person said uh, under 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 their breath, but loud enough, oh, you guys are way more into this than I am. <laughs> 
And and it's just like that's just a, the reality of it. Like there's we people really love movies, right? But it's just they're not they haven't been as into it over the course of their entire lives as I think the three of us have, right? So we were able to pull these stories from That was past Gabe, and, by the way, who said that. Well, no, that would require talking. So. <laughs> Gabe, I, I mean, I'd Gabe. Jake, I'm, seri- I'm curious. When you were standing up at the plate in this fateful uh, Little League game. Dark yeah, fateful. And you, and you had all of the <laughs> pressure of hitting this ball. I'm curious. Did you hear a whisper from the outfield that said, if you hit it, they will buy? <laughs> You, you a 1099 used copy of Terminator 2. <laughs> it was the worst Field of Dreams sequel imaginable. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to put the accent on. If and if you, and, and if then Arnold emerges it. from the corn and just gives me a thumbs up. <laughs> and Tim and Miller, then, and then Tim Miller goes, back on the, the nose, and, man. And, and, his, and his, his thumb like disappears <laughs> into the corn. What actually uh, happened was Jake's bat was actually the knife hand from T-1000 that, that did the milk carton <laughs> sequence, and, and that was what swung it out. <laughs> that, that, that's literally, he just finished killing Todd with the milk carton, and, and, and that was what he was using for the baseball bat. Jake, did you hit that triple with your Robert Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Jake, was- he's literally <laughs> sitting right next to you. Do something about that it. That was beautiful, Throw something Sean. at him. Thank, Thank you, you for that. I appreciate that. Sean, that was... <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> this week's blend game, wow. uh, in keeping with the theme of the show, is uh, hashtag Arnold Blend. <laughs> that was incredible. We had a lot of great audience <laughs> participation. Uh, we are picking... It was pointed out that we might have played the Arnold Schwarzenegger blend game prior to, but this was during the uh, best phase of the game, the earlier, the volume one uh, phase of the blend game. This now is going to be... Uh, favorite and in addition to doing favorite we're also going to be giving our favorite uh arnold schwarzenegger one-liners i've been told by gabe that jake you get to go first and the stipulation for people who might not have heard last week or seen on social media we took t2 off the board because we kind of assumed that kevin for sure since it being his all-time favorite film uh that you know it's such an easy pick it might be the obvious pick so we just went ahead and removed it and so we said if you can't pick t2 what would you say is your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger film, and then, of course, we need your one-liner, and Jake begins it. I I think I am going with, and I still feel like this is a bit of a cop-out, I'm going to go with The Terminator. Okay. That's uh, fair. If you, I think that's if fair. you remove, because, but for so many completely different reasons, and I would have picked T2, and the reason I'm going to pick The Terminator is because I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for how absolutely terrifying he is in that movie. Like, it's almost a borderline horror film. I mean, he is, it is a such movie. a relentless, cold, soulless, mechanical villain. And it, it, it just sell, it propels the movie forward. Before the series turned him into the savior and before the series became a, a bunch of famous one-liners that people repeated over and over and then got parodied and then got parodied by the parodies, it was a, st- a very simple story of this cold machine chasing this poor woman for something she hadn't even done yet for 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 because she hadn't even given birth to this child yet and it's such a an incredible premise and such an incredible usage of because we've seen some bad ones but such an incredible usage of the time travel plot device and it still makes so much sense without really picking it apart i i just love it so so much and it's i don't love obviously 
I think T2 is a better film, and I think T2 is will always forever be the greatest thing he's ever done. Um, but I just the, the simplicity, but just the 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 fear that he brings to that. I actually think it's his best performance. I think T2 is a better movie, but I think he's better in The Terminator. Well, so both of you guys saw T2 before The Terminator. Yes, is that accurate? Yes, yep. yes. I'll tell you, it was unusual to see him play the the good guy. Like the the impact of that character shift, it's it's second nature now. And they didn't really public correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't really publicize that, right? Not in the least bit. And the I marketing love that. the marketing leaned very heavily into Linda Hamilton's terrified reaction. And, uh, and and I remember from the trailers, the uh, the image was of him walking through the hallway uh, with pulling the gun out of the box of roses. Yeah. And the flowers falling to the to the floor. Iconic. No, they did not let you know early on in the marketing that that they were shifting the Terminator, and and it, everyone was super curious about like, well, how does this other new liquid guy play into it? That was a huge twist uh, back when that when that one came out in 1991. Um, what's your favorite line? Ah. Uh... He says that? Which movie is that? Yeah. <laughs> Every movie he's in. Um, I, ha- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only I have to go. God. Can we come back to me? I didn't pick one. Come back to me. Jeez, you're going to get I'm a... Uh, what, what do they give for unsatisfactory, Kevin? You? <laughs> you're going to get you, man. You know what I didn't get? It was a reminder text from Gabe saying text me. Oh, oh, it's Gabe's fault. Oh, it's Gabe's fault. <laughs> a reminder text. All right, uh, Kevin, you're up. Uh, this is really hard for me because I, there, were, there are three other Arnold films that uh, I... I are on like even playing field for me, but I don't want to. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to take the easy road here. So I am gonna pick one. Um, I went with Last Action Hero, and Ooh, the reason why I went with Last Action Hero is because when I saw that film, that's an interesting pick. Well, it, it, it's when I saw that movie, and I still love that movie today. And I understand that it it it, it was not well received. Um, when I saw that movie, I saw it at a time in my life where Arnold was my favorite actor of all time. So Terminator 2, as I mentioned earlier, was the movie that changed my life. So anything that came out after that, Arnold was like everything to me. Everything Arnold did, I was immediately at. I had all the VHSs. Last Action Hero was essentially my dream, right? The guy Mm -hmm. goes into an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, Jack Slater, and gets to live in the movie world as Arnold is taking out bad guys and delivering awesome one-liners. Like, asking a guy if he wants to be a farmer, then kicking him and saying, here's a couple of acres. I mean, like, there's... there's <laughs> like, there, it was, like, it was amazing. And, I, and, like, to this day, that movie still floors me because the look on that kid's face when he's sitting in that theater and he gets that golden ticket and he enters the screen into the back of Arnold's car as, like, the bad guys... Remember this... Those bad guys are chasing him with a van, and the van flies up. And like everything is so ridiculously over the top. And then like they're referencing Terminator Two. Like Robert Patrick walks out of the police station at one point. Uh, they go into a blockbuster, quote unquote, and uh, Ar- and Sylvester Stallone is now the star of Terminator Two, not Arnold. Um, <laughs> and like it was like my favorite like play on what made Arnold so great. And I, I, I remember, like, I always love that scene when him and the kid are driving past the bad guy's house, and he's like, you're telling me all these years I've been doing all this work, I just have to point to that place and say the bad guy's in there, and the bad guy literally is living in there, and, like, and the dogs are doing all these cool tricks. It was so ridiculously over the top, 
but it was my dream. It was it was like I could not imagine a cooler concept. Like I I I watched that film as that kid, and I and I and this was before I ever dreamed of ever even having an encounter with Arnold. Arnold was the guy I wanted to meet as a kid. I used to dream that my dad would leave the house and go to work during the day, and he was Arnold. <laughs> he would come back, and like, and it was like that's how much Arnold meant to me. So to see a movie where a kid could enter a movie with Arnold and live out action scenes was amazing. Um, that's why I went with Last Action Hero, and I understand that people didn't receive that film as well. I understand that people were not happy it with didn't the didn't do length. that great. I yeah, know. I'm looking it up right now. But I love Last Action Hero. To be or not to be? Not to be. And he blows up. like It was, it was so awesome. I don't know why I love that movie, but I do. Um, the, other two, the other two that were right there with it, um, oddly enough, were True Lies and Commando. And those, it was weird because those were harder for me not to choose because I think True Lies is a better film. Um, but Last Action Hero leans more into my favorite because of what it meant. Favorite line of all time, I'm, I'm, I won't waste time doing this, I've already done it on the show before, is the commando line, um, don't disturb my friend, You're dead. he's dead tired. And I think just that is to me the pinnacle of what Arnold's one-liners were. I, just this over-the-top, ridiculous, self-aware, uh, he just broke this guy's neck and he like he's being polite to the the, the flight attendant. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. The guy's like dead right next to him. It was, it was genius. Um, and so that's my favorite line. But last action hero. If anybody listening to our show has never seen it, just try and watch it from the perspective of a kid who was obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger growing up, and imagine being that kid going into that movie. And, and when you're a kid, you have a wild imagination, and you and 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 you and you think about. That, that was like the dream for me. So that movie spoke to me more than anything else besides T2 for him. To bring it back full circle, uh, the story for Last Action Hero is by Zach, Zach Penn. Zach Penn, uh, yeah. Former Real Blend uh, guest, or one of our earliest Real Blend guests who uh, wrote Ready Player One or adapted uh, Ready Player One. Was he Have the you first? seen Gabe it, says it, Sean? Jake and Gabe said the first? Oh, yeah. Last Action yeah. Hero? I, I yeah. love Last Action Hero. <clears throat> it's but so I also feel the same way you too. feel. I watch it as a kid. And it was screenwritten by... Uh, Shane Black. Shane Black. Did McTiernan do that movie? John McTiernan directed it. Yes. The Die Hard. I have, line. I have my one liner. Oh, go ahead. What is it? My liner. My one liner is from Jingle All the Way. Oh God. And it is. Put that cookie down now. <laughs> <laughs> I had to laugh because if Gabe could speak, he would tell you that my two choices, Kevin, were True Lies and Commando. Yeah. Those are the two I could not choose between. I mean, those are those and are those are pin, those are top tier Arnold action movies, top tier. And I ultimately went since it's favorite. <clears throat> I went with Commando. Yes. Oh, good one. Good Commando one. Commando rules. Let off it some just, steam. Well, it, it is the the quintessential Arnold when he was in the Predator. Oh yeah. Uh, Total Recall, uh, Running Man phase, where. And in Commando, and I rewatched it recently because I was like, can this, can this hold up? Does this actually hold up? And it does. It's amazing. But he doesn't look human. Like, no. he's so chiseled. He looks like he's made out of granite. Sean, like, remember, remember how goofy the beginning is with that cheesy music? And he's carrying the log and they're, the, they're feeding the deer with Alyssa Milano. It's like so cheesy, but it's like perfect. It's perfect. The music in that movie is <laughs> tremendous. It's 80s synthesizer uh, music. 
I've told this story on the, I think when I revisited, I told this story on the thing about how he, after he uh, breaks that guy's neck and tells him not to sleep, he uh, pretends he's going to the bathroom, but somehow sneaks into the bottom of the plane. Jumps out of a moving plane. He cuts his way out through the wall and holds onto the wheel before the before the landing gear comes up. Or comes Sean, off. how about when he lifts the phone booth out of the out of, out in the mall and like picks a phone booth out of his own hand? The the mall fight is one of the funniest things because again, here's. Arnold trying to walk through the mall and shadow somebody, Ugh. but he he doesn't look like a normal human being at all. So every security guard in the mall is instantly like, oh, this guy's up to no good. Let's follow him and see what's going on. And they all try to fight him at once. And uh, yeah, as Kevin said, in order to distract them, he lifts the entire phone booth out of the floor. And uh, But then he has another guy who he ends up fighting in the end, who's like his counterpart in Special Forces, Bennett. And, uh, and this guy's also, like, psychotic. Like, it was great. Those 80s movies are great. They always found really great psychotic villains. Um, and Commando, to me, is it's it's over the top, but it's, it's kind of one of those movies where th- they didn't have a script, and they just said, we got Arnold, you know? <laughs> Let's just let Arnold be Arnold kind of thing. And, uh, and they, so he goes from action piece to action set piece and carries it with one-liners. My one-liner also comes from Commando. It is not the... Uh, don't disturb my friend, he's dead tired, although that is tremendous. It is what Kevin said, when Arnold takes a pipe and throws it through Bennett's chest, and the pipe goes into a wall, and I don't know what's behind it, but whatever was behind it had a lot of steam in it, <laughs> and it pours steam through Bennett's body, through the pipe, and it cuts back to Arnold, and he says, let off some steam, Bennett, and I just howl. It's terrific. It's, Mike Flanagan terrific. missed a really big opportunity in Doctor Sleep for someone to say let off some steam at some point. I don't know why he didn't why he didn't drop that line in there. I don't, but, but Sean, Sean, how about when he how about when he goes to that island? I, th- I think Commando is his biggest body count. I'll have to double check on that. There was there was a website back in the day be. that listed his body count, and he kills like no, dozens of people on this island, bad guys. And then the, the general comes up to him and he goes, and like this is at the end of the movie and Arnold's like all sweaty, like just finished killing everybody. He goes, anything left for us? And he goes, just bodies. Just bodies. Just bodies. And like what a line. Who says that? Tremendous. Send that cookie down. <laughs> no. No. All right. You told me you kill me last, Blend. Sully? Uh, I lied. I lied. <laughs> Wait, what is that from? What's that one That's from? That's Commando. Is that he from Commando? Remember, That's he, Commando? remember like, S- Sully's like, uh, uh, you told me you'd kill me last. And he goes, you told me you'd kill me yeah. last, Matrix. He goes, I lied. And then, I he, lied. And then he drops I him lied. off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> what am I looking at here? Oh, yeah. my pl- I know. I know. My flight is 630. I'm fine. I love, how you, have, I love I how you have a plane. I don't have as hard of an out. Oh, Gabe says he's super busy. Yeah, I know. I do. I have to run to a flight. Okay. Audience picks. Uh, Stephen Glover says Predator. Mrs. Love on Twitter said True Lies. Caprice Williams said The Running Man. Julie says she can't choose between True Lies and Kindergarten Cop. And then Ray... Salarum, Salarum, Celarum says twins. All great films. My wife's favorite. Terrific on lines. No question. That's, That's a really good one. Movie. She does, good man. One. The, the, how about the one liner? Is lies? your daddy Sean? What he, does he do when he blows that guy from the missile and goes, "You're fired"? I mean, what a line, <laughs> man! Come on. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Okay, for next week, please reach out to us on Twitter using hashtag 
Shia LaBeouf blend. We are going to play the films of Shia LaBeouf, a much better actor than people give him credit for, and we will tell you why on next week's episode of Real Blend. So use that hashtag on social media, hashtag Shia LaBeouf blend. You can also send us your pick via email at realblend at cinemablend.com. While you're there, do me a favor, uh, write us up a nice review. We'll read it at the top of the next show. I want to point out it is official. Here we are at episode number 90. We have talked about the fact that we are going to Washington, D.C. to celebrate episode number 100. Uh, and the uh, D.C. meetup page is now live. Um, we are still figuring out the venue and the exact time. All that's going to be de- determined uh, based on the number of people who sign up. So do us a favor. Go over to the website uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y. We've used these before. Bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash Real Blend DC. BIT.ly backslash Real Blend DC. And just let us know whether you guys think you can be there on January 3rd um, or the weekend of. So we're trying to figure this out. All right, right now we are planning to do the meetup on Friday night, uh, January 3rd. But do us a favor, tweet us um, if you're planning on coming to the event and it'd be easier for you to get there on Saturday. Because we clearly, you know, we want to make it available to as many people as we possibly can since we're doing this. And if enough people tell us uh, Friday night's really tough, it's a work night, whatever the reason is, uh, and Saturday would be better, then we'll, we're early enough in the process of putting this together that we could, if, uh, if enough people weigh in with that feedback and say Saturday is better, then we can m- maybe pivot and figure out that way. But either way, go to the website, bit.ly backslash DC and weigh my, in and let us know what you think is coming and what day works better. That's can we say that? Mom is, is my mom is confirmed. My oh, mom and dad awesome. will both be there. That's unbelievable. That's amazing. Okay, so we're gonna wrap. Uh, you will get a chance to meet Kevin's mom. She will be. Uh, I swear to God, she's gonna be the most popular it's, person. She's gonna be everybody. Nobody else question. is gonna be there. It's just <laughs> all my mom. Be everybody. Uh, go to social media. Follow us uh, at Real Blend. Uh, you can also follow the guys individually at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV. I am at Sean underscore O'Connell. Again, leave us a review. We'll be back next week uh, with the normal blend of news and reviews and reactions to things going on in the world of entertainment and uh, potentially some exciting celebrity interviews. So until we get together for episode number 91, done. Kirk. <laughs> I don't know what that was. What the fuck was that? I was trying to make it different. I don't know. Yeah, I know I it's hard to, after 90 I was trying episodes. to add, like, some personality to it versus just yelling Dunkirk. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.